Okay, so I don't know how long we're going to stay in Romans. Uh, but we are here today, probably for four, another four weeks. Maybe another six weeks. I don't know. Depends on how, how much ground we cover today. But uh, first of all, I just want to ask. It, it, I mean, I, I know that we've all read Romans before. We've had contact with Romans. Who is seeing Romans differently now that it's coming, you know, in, in the sequence of our whole trip through the Bible? Any, any deeper insights this time around for you in Romans? Yeah. Anything in particular? Yeah, okay. It's, it kind of unlocks everything, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, anyone else have a similar, similar experience this time, this time around? Seeing it in light of the Old Testament covenants, the long view of what God has done. Yeah. Well, so that's, we're going to continue talking about that today. Um. I just want to remind you that in Paul's letters, very often he goes from grand truth, big idea, big picture, down to practical application. And he'll spend a good chunk really hashing out some some deep theology uh, and then just go ahead and apply that to to whatever current situation there is. Um, And that is what I want to suggest is is the genius of Paul, you know, his, his gift... One of his spiritual gifts as an apostle to the Gentiles was, number one, to be able to see what Jesus Christ meant in light of the Old Testament, in light of the old story, in light of the truth for which he was zealous, right? The tradition according to the Torah and everything. He was zealous to the point of persecuting the church. And he was able to see, he was able to zoom out and see it in light of now the Messiah come in the flesh. But then his other genius as an apostle is to be able to figure out now what that looks like. And to to ride this balance between God's doing a new thing, but he's not throwing out the old thing. So to, to hold that in such careful balance, I think, is, is, is just genius on Paul's part. Uh, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit and gifted by God to do that. Um, but we are so indebted to Paul in the way that he shows us who Jesus really was. Um, so that was one thing I would just want to remind you about Paul in general. The other thing is that there is an assumed, pretty extensive knowledge of the Old Testament in the book of Romans. Remember at the end he says, hey listen, I am confident about all of you. That you have a lot of knowledge and you're able to instruct one another. But on a few things, I have written strongly by way of reminder. Now, that's not how a lot of us would classify the book of Romans. Oh, it's just a few things that Paul was shoring up. <laughs> a lot of people would classify Romans as, this is Paul, his, the most systematic of his works. This is where all of his doctrine really come, is in a package. It's, it's just this huge uh, monograph of theology. And Paul himself considers it, uh, some stronger reminders about a few things. Okay, so there's a whole wealth of Old Testament knowledge and teaching and doctrine uh, that's assumed behind this book. 
And so we've, we've said, you know, one of the best things you can do to understand Romans is to remind yourself of the Old Testament story, as Mason was, was talking about. But here's my goal for us as we go through Romans, but also Paul's letters. Okay, obviously, we, you know, our trip through the Bible is just really to become more biblically literate, to kind of know what's going on in each book. But for us right now in this time, um, I think... Number one, and this is, this is my goal and my prayer as I'm praying toward this. I am, I'm doing, you know, I'm studying and trying to give us some good knowledge. Uh, but my, my prayer for us in the spirit is that we would really be captured by the gospel. The significance of who Jesus is. Okay, because you can, in the way that Paul is presenting it. Right, not in the way that you maybe understand the gospel but in the way that Paul meant it. The gospel being, Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, that's not, hey, it's okay. You can get to heaven when you die. But to be captured with the big story. And to say, oh, wow. I don't see just what this means for me. I don't see this, how this insulates me from... Uh, from judgment or whatever, I see that this is a huge thing that God is doing. It's way bigger than me. It's way bigger than our church. It's way bigger than the 21st century. And to be captured with that story, because that's what, that's what Paul was on fire for. He was not on fi- He used to be on fire for the traditions of his fathers and, and preserving those. And then God struck him blind for three days. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he saw Jesus for who he really was. And then he, be, he, he became on fire for something else entirely. So we have, our little, we have our little slivers of understanding of the gospel. I'm hoping that God really opens that up for, for some of us. That we see the magnitude of Jesus. Second goal is that we need to see how that comes to bear on our daily lives. What that means for us on a week-to-week basis. What that means for us as a member of this fledgling, beautiful community of people. How the, the grand picture of God has everything to do with you, Jackson, as a member of this church plant. The eternal purposes of God are resting on you and waiting to shine forth from your life into this community. And Paul will tell us how that can happen. So that's my goal as we go through Paul. To, to, with him, to become awestruck with the story, with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then to see that we have, a pl- we have a part to play. Oh my goodness, we have a part to play in this story right now. This is not just an old, an old thing. So I'm praying that God really does some things in our hearts that are foundational, that he can build his church on. Okay, he wants to lay the gospel in each of our hearts, the, the big story, so that we can build 
the church that he wants us to build. Amen? And this is what Paul's heart was. This is, this is my heart as we come to this book, as we, as, we, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine. This is the apostles' doctrine, right? He is our apostle. Okay. So the book of Romans, broad outline, is 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 11, 12 through the end. Pretty neatly divides into those four sections. Um, the, uh, I'm listening to uh, an awesome lecture series by N.T. Wright on the book of Romans. He's a, a New Testament scholar, and um, I, I kind of lifted these big picture outlines from, from him. So here's, here's what 1 through 4 is, is about. In Jesus, the Messiah, God has been faithful to his covenant, dealing with the sin of the world and creating a worldwide family. In Jesus, the Messiah, God has been faithful to his covenant, dealing with the sin of the world and creating a worldwide family. That's what one through four are about, and we're gonna, we'll talk through one through four this morning. Five through eight, the, the big picture there is the worldwide family is the true Israel and is therefore the true humanity. So the worldwide family is the true Israel and is therefore the true humanity. And is therefore, by the Spirit, the people in whom all the purposes of God for the human race are to be fulfilled. And is therefore, by the Spirit, the people in whom all the purposes of God for the human race are to be fulfilled. In other words, the church now, the family of God, that's made one in Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike, is the true Israel. And being the true Israel is the people through whom God is going to accomplish all of his purposes for mankind. Nine through eleven are answering. So one of the things Paul does through the letter is he keeps hinting at, well, I bet you're wondering, so what about the Jews according to the flesh? What about ethnic Israel? In light of Jesus, what about that? What about all these promises and covenants and everything? And so Paul keeps coming back to address that in little, in little bites as we go. But then 9 through 11 are where he really answers that question. And he really spells out, so what about Israel? The nation Israel. Ethnic Israel. Okay? And then 12, 16, 12 through 16 are the, the practical term. Now, as the, as the true humanity, as people that are living now as we were always created to live, what does that look like? It looks like unity and fellowship and in mission. Unity and fellowship and in mission. Okay, so you see the overarching um, thing is that God has been faithful to his covenant in sending Jesus. All right. 
One more thing before we start stepping through uh, chapters 1 through 4. As I mentioned, four, those four main chapters of Old Testament history last week, um, Adam, Abraham, Moses, and David, those are kind of the four big covenants. Um, let me give you sort of a word cluster for each of those so that when, when you encounter any of these kinds of word, like any of these words in, this, in these families of words, you will know, oh, we're sort of in the Adam sphere. We're sort of in the Abraham sphere. We're sort of in the Moses sphere. So Adam, anytime we're talking about creation or creator or mankind or just man or men, right? the Hebrew word Adam means man. Mankind, humanity. So, you should have whenever we encounter. So, for example, in the in the uh, in the first chapter here in verse eighteen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So you should think about Adam. What was God's commission to Adam? Be fruitful and multiply. He created him in the image of God. That's another one, image of God. Creation, creator, humanity, image of God. Those are all sort of cluster of words, a family of words, that whenever you encounter those things in, in Paul, you should go back to Eden, right? And kind of be, have that in your, as, a, as a frame of reference. Okay, Abraham, faith, family or offspring, promise, circumcision, and also inheritance. And everything that comes with that. Heir, inheritance. That is sort of in the Abrahamic covenant family of words. Why? Because God was blessing Abraham, making him a family in whom all the family of the earth will be blessed. Giving him a land as an inheritance. Okay, that's all part of the promise to Abraham. So anytime you, any of that language... So it's not like you can just whip out a concordance and say, well, Paul mentions Abraham here, here, here. He never talks about the Abrahamic covenant. Well, anytime he's talking about inheritance, he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Anytime he's talking about circumcision or family or offspring, descendants, okay, this is all part of the package. So that's one thing. We, gotta, we, can't, we can't get technical with our language. We have to say, this... Uh, this, this whole family of words uh, is important. Moses is fairly straightforward. The law, the code, the ordinances. Um, whenever there's you know, dietary things, whenever there, you know, any of the rituals of sacrifice, okay, that, is, that is Moses. Atonement. You can find all that in, in Torah, right? Because the, the law that was given to Moses was not the covenant of circumcision. The law that was given to Moses was the covenant of Torah. 
the revealed word of God. Which was to be the, the thing that shaped Israel. The thing that got them out of Egypt and then formed them into a nation that was separate from Egypt. So it covered all of life. Right? From what you eat, all this stuff. Alright, and then David, anytime we're talking about Christ or Messiah, this is the, this is the kingly family of words. Kingdom. A rule or a reign. Okay, just think of what God wanted to do for, through David. But also, what in the story of David really speaks of, of God's purposes. Alright, so. In chapter 1, you can't really get past the greeting. Okay, you could chew on that for a long time. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, we're talking about the gospel, which he promised beforehand. So immediately we're talking, the, the gospel is not, hey, Jesus died so you don't have to, Jesus died so that you can go to heaven when you die. The gospel is the whole thing. <laughs> what God was always wanting to do. And it's been going on for a long time. So the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, real quick, go back to Acts 19. Sorry, 18. Sorry, 17. <laughs> the wrong story in there. Now, this is when Paul stands up and he preaches the gospel. Okay, when, so when we hear the gospel, this is what we should have in, in our mind. 17:22. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Um, for in him we live and move and have our being, and even as your, some, some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now this is important. This is the gospel. God became a man. That man was killed. 
God raised that man up. And God will judge the world in righteousness by that man. That man is what all men should be. He is the stand. He is what God, he is the measure by which God will judge. And the other important part of it is that God has said, God has sort of signed off on this, has approved it by, the proof of it is the resurrection of the dead. How do we know that Jesus is the one through whom God's going to judge the world? Well, he, wrote, he, he raised him from the dead. Okay? Now, as we go, that's going to, that's going to be important. But that's the backdrop. That, when Paul says, my gospel, that's it. So again, he says here, back to Romans verse 5, one, one, chapter 1, verse 5. Therefore, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was saying, this is the one. He was saying it all along, but this was the final declaration. This is the one. And after God raised him, what happened? He ascended to the Father's side and seats, sits on the right hand of the Father. Right? And this is the gospel. So through, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he says, I want to come to see you because I, I want to bring the gospel to you. Okay, And he says in verse 16... Verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is radical stuff. I'm not ashamed of this. People are calling that we are just, we're just this strange sect. I'm getting run out of towns by, by jealous Jews who think I'm trying to pervert the Torah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right? People want me dead. People have made oaths that they will not eat until they have killed me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I will put all of my eggs in the basket of Jesus. That's what he's saying. I have seen that this is the one. This is it. It ends here. And I'm not ashamed to throw everything I have all that I was before, as he says in Philippians 3, given it all up. All the life I built for myself, I have thrown it into the only thing that matters is proclaiming this Jesus as the Messiah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for those who believe. It is the power of God. This proclamation, somehow lifting up Jesus... Throwing all your eggs in that basket, having no plan B but Jesus, unleashes power into the earth. And it doesn't until you do that. But when you do that, when you give yourself to the gospel and decide that you're not ashamed of it, there is a power that is unleashed in your life. First to save you, but then to cause you to be an agent of salvation in the earth. I'm coming, guys, and I'm not ashamed of this thing. And it is like lasers shining forth from my life. It is a powerful thing. You should see what's happening. As I'm going from town to town, 
preaching Jesus as the Christ, people are falling down as though dead and receiving the Holy Spirit. And their lives are being turned upside down. I'm not ashamed. Amen? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Okay, now, this is talking about God's righteousness. Right? Um, God does make us righteous as we walk with Him, as we receive from Him. But there are some translations that say the righteousness that comes from God. In this context, I don't think that's what it means. Like, I think the NIV may say that, or maybe some of the old versions of the NIV. But it's, it's God's righteousness. In the gospel, God's righteousness, which is what? It's his faithfulness to his covenant. His righteousness is revealed, obviously, by Jesus. He did it. He stayed faithful. He didn't scratch all of that. He kept right along. Where Israel fell, God was successful. Okay? So the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, which is from Habakkuk, which is from a part of Scripture that says, listen, if it seems slow, wait for it. It doesn't seem like God's up to much. Wait for it. And that's the attitude of the righteous man. Waiting on God so that God can show his righteousness at the proper time. And he's saying, guess what? It seemed slow. We waited for it. Now his righteousness is revealed. It's here. Then, in in verse 18, he basically gives... He rewinds back to, the, back to the garden. He goes all the way back. And he says, here is a brief history of the world. Okay? So we're, we're back all the way in the, in the garden. It's a retelling of Genesis 3, uh, this, this part. And he pulls out some interesting points, so I'll just mention them quickly. Listen, he's invested all of creation with his glory. If you are looking for God, you will find him around every corner. (laughs) If your heart is to seek God, how can you just look up in the sky and say, and not say, there is a God? Right? So he's saying, listen, God so beautifully crafted creation that you couldn't possibly ignore his existence in creation. But guess what happened? People became so enamored with creation that they began to worship creation rather than the creator. They listened, and, and this, is an, this is an interesting point. The first time this happened was when Eve listened to the creation more than to the creator. She did what the serpent said and not what God said. And at that point, that was, that was idolatry. Anything that is... When you give your allegiance to the creation rather than the creator, you've severed your relationship with God and you've, you've perverted your original purpose. You're, the image of God is to be related to God. All right. So they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, meaning you were created in the image of God. 
God created man to be a reflection of who he is. But that can only happen if man remains in relationship with God. And as that relationship happens, and it happens through faith, trust, obedience, as you do that, you reflect God into the earth. And you are able to fill, you're able to fulfill his command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Spread out who I am. Make it go worldwide. As soon as you start to get sidetracked and to start to look around and go, hey, you know, I want to... I like this, this thing that's, that's been created. You sever that. You exchange the glory of God. Which is, This is going to come back up in chapter 3 when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which was always to walk with him, to be his man in the earth, to steward the earth, to fill it with his glory. So you exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Um, and this is one of the places in scripture where we, we see homosexual practice mentioned. And he's not mentioning, he's not singling out homosexuals. He's saying it's indicative in a society where homosexuality is happening. It's indicative that there's been a fundamental rift in the relationship with God. In, in man's conception of himself as a bearer of the image of God, which back in Genesis 2 was male and female. That was one of the first things God said. He said, I'm going to create you in my image, male and female, I'm creating you. So it just makes sense that where there's a perversion of the image of God, male and female gets all messed up. In a society where male and female is messed up, there has been a deep idolatry, a systemic idolatry that has become the norm. So it's really about idolatry. And obviously idolatry cuts us off from God, but it also distorts and perverts in us the image of God. So in chapter 2, he says, Hey, listen, I'm talking about everyone. This is not a Jew-Gentile thing. This isn't like the Gentiles are idolatrous and then the ethnic Jews are okay. Because you all, too, you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Um, and he's, he's throwing us back to the passages in the Old Testament where God, you know, God had to send his people into exile. God had to do all sorts of things, allow nations to come and judge his people. Why? Because they had allowed themselves to follow the pattern of the world. They were, they were supposed to be a guardian of the image of God, the glory of God, but they had allowed themselves to go after other nations. And so he's saying, don't think you're any better. You've struggled with this same thing the whole time. And it's why you're in exile right now. You're still in exile. Okay? Uh, let's see. Let's go to verse 12 in chapter 2. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Simple enough. Right? 
you all pride yourself on having Torah, you don't do Torah. (laughs) So what good is it if you just have it? It doesn't make you any better than anyone else. And he mentions, um, he mentions boasting here a couple times. Yeah, seven, in verse 17. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, which is the purpose, right? A light in the darkness, a guide to the blind. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, this is back in Isaiah, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So he's saying, I know you have the law. Where has that gotten you? All the way back in Isaiah. The name of God was being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What should be happening to those who have the law? The name of God should be exalted. The glory of God should shine forth from those who have the law, ideally. And he's saying, what do you have to show for your possession of the law? Nothing. That's why you're in exile. That's why you don't even have a place to call your own anymore. All right. So this whole time he's talking about, hey, listen, all of mankind has has turned away from God. The Jews think that they're, they're okay because they have the law. But listen... It's not a, this is not a news flash that Israel has been unfaithful. That there's a long history of idolatry and hypocrisy in the people of Israel. Okay, this is nothing new that Paul is, is talking about. And probably to most devout Jews, like himself, they would have said, yes, yay, amen. But then he goes even further. For if circumcision is is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? His ethnic... Wait a minute. This is not how people become Jewish. This This is not what's going on. Yes, it is. Because guess what? Being Jewish... Uh... Was never the was never the the gospel. It was never what God wanted. He didn't want everyone to be Jewish. He wanted everyone to be human, <laughs> to live in His family. That didn't work. So He chose one family and said, "In you, all the families of the earth are going to come back to Me." So the Jews have been focused on the first part of the promise to Abraham, which is, "I am going to bless you." And they continually failed to realize that it was, and David Ravenhill says it like this, they were not to be a pet nation. They were to be the pattern nation. And that was the whole problem. That, that the Jewish people had 
come to see themselves as the pet nation of God, the superior race, rather than the pattern and the gift and the people through whom the nations of the earth were going to come in. Jesus came to fully keep the law, but also to lay down his life for the Gentiles, for everyone, for those who didn't deserve it. And we're going to get to that in chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which is what Israel should have been doing for the nations. While they were yet sinners, laying down their life so that they would see the image of God. Instead, they were continuously riddled with idolatry and hypocrisy. All right. What then, so what advantage has the Jew? So, and this is the question that is sort of all throughout the book, kind of peppers all through. What's the value of circumcision? Much in every way. He keeps the balance. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's very significant language. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. They did not generate the oracles of God. God said, here is who I am. Here is who I want my people to be. Now, walk with me, do that. And in doing that, the nations of the earth will be blessed. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. And they blew that assignment. Right? If, 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 if someone entrusts you with something very valuable, and it ends up getting ruined, that's on you. Know, that's on you. And this is what's happened. He said, you were entrusted with the oracles of God. You are significant. God did want to work with you. So they were faithless. But does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Definitely not. God has not scrapped what he started. God has stayed faithful to what he started. So Jews of all people, right now in this time, you should rejoice. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So then in verse 9, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. What value? Much in every way. Well, are we better off? No. (laughs) We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. So he's saying, listen, sin is something that goes deeper than a nation who possesses Torah. In a nation who does not possess Torah, who does not have the marks of ethnic Israel. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the relationship between God and man, by which man fulfills their God-given purpose to bear the image of God. Sin destroys that. So we've leveled the playing field. Verse 21, The righteousness of God... But now, the righteousness of God, God's faithfulness to his covenant, has been manifested apart from the law. But, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, this is tricky, but I'm pretty convinced that, so, faith in Greek, faith and faithfulness are the same word. 
And I'm pretty convinced that, that here, at least, the faith in Jesus Christ is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because he's talking about God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, through the faithfulness of Jesus. For all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, now we're still talking about God's plan for humanity. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so he says in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God's been so patient. Don't you see that? He has been so patient. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now we walk with God and faith is something we have toward God. But faith is also something that, that Jesus has toward us. It's his faithfulness. Okay? Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. We have no national boast. Okay? We Jews have no, nothing over the Gentiles. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is all about faith. Okay, now we're building to the climax of these first four chapters, which is Abraham. So he puts all this in perspective. He says, you have the law, but you weren't faithful to the law. And so you have no boast. You have nothing going for you. Having the law is not is not enough. All have sinned. And you're justified by faith. Now listen, that faith is possible for Jews and Gentiles alike, and it's the same for each of them. And here's what it looks like. And then he goes to chapter 4. Okay, so he says, it's, all, it's, it's about faith. Now what is this faith? And he quotes from Genesis 15. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is awesome. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In chapter 15 of Genesis, you can go read it. I would would encourage you to go back and read it. God puts Abraham to sleep, and there's that great scene of the covenant. He's walking between the two halves of the animals. But then he says, look up at the stars. So shall your offspring be. Now there's so much in that image. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. And we usually say, Father Abraham had many sons. But look up. And we've just said in in chapter 1, God has infused creation with his glory and his divine. Look up at the stars. Guess what? This whole cosmic, (laughs) all these lights, all through the cosmos... The whole, over all of creation, all of the earth, that's going to be your offspring. And Abraham goes, I believe. And he believed in his heart. So what did he believe? It wasn't like, I believe that you're real, or I believe that you died for my sins. It was, I see the purpose of God. That's always been the purpose of God for humanity. I'm to bear his image. And through that, I'm to fill the earth and, sub- and, and multiply. And his glory is going to go forth f- from my life. 
And I believe he can do that. And God says, yes, that's what I'm looking for. It's what I've always been looking for. And so he goes all the way back and he says, and guess what, guys? Abraham wasn't even circumcised yet. That's not until chapter 17. He had this faith, and God says, that is what I want. I want to reproduce that in all of my family. That's what I'm looking for. That's what it means. It was counted to him as righteousness. Yes, that's it. I want that. And so this faith is a yielding of yourself to the purpose of God, in a, in a trusting, in an obeying. It's all part of one package. Faith. And that is our righteousness. That if we yield ourselves to God, whoa, his glory comes forth from our life. Which is much different than saying, if you believe, if you trust Jesus, that he's forgiven your sins, then you don't have to do anything else. He'll get you into heaven. It's much different. Abraham believed God. I, my offspring can be as the stars. Now this is where I want to call us to, have you gotten a vision for what God wants to do through your life? He does not just want to save you from whatever bothers you. He wants to populate the world through your offspring. And that's spiritual, natural, in every way possible. So that his glory can shine forth like it was always meant to be. He wants to take you, and if you will, have faith, that is, fully trust him, fully yield to his power that can come forth. Allow him to make you the person you always were created to be. You can glorify, the, the, the world will be filled with his glory. And he does that through Jesus, right, by the Spirit. And we'll, we'll, that's what chapter 8 is about. But do you see that? He was saying, listen, guys, it's not about the law. It's not about all these things that have happened. Guess what God was always looking for? And why he even chose Abraham was this kind of faith that would say, yes, I believe you can do what you promised. So in, in, in verse 10, he says, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Guess what, guys? He wasn't even circumcised. And God said, yes, I am. that is what I'm looking for. Now, uh, Ephesians is awesome in this because it says he chose us in him. And I believe this scene with Abraham is, is, a, is a, uh, a foreshadow of that, a type of that. When God said, that is what I'm looking for. That's what, he did in the etern- that's what he did in the eternal time before creation. When, when he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The, the, the son had perfect obedience with the father. Faith, you could call it. Perfect trust. And God said, you know what? Let us make man in our image. I like this. Let's do more. Let's make more. Do you see what's happening? Let us make man in our image. And so in Abraham, he's like, I want to make you in my image. Meaning, I want you to populate the cosmos with my glory. Because <laughs> that's what my son does. And that's why I created mankind in the first place. Now, I want to do that through you, Abraham. Do you believe I can do that? Yes. Now listen, and this is just so good. The 
promise to Abraham and his offspring would be that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Listen, Torah, non-Torah people, if you want to walk with me the way Abraham walked, you're a part of Abraham's family. Jew, Gentile, I don't care who you are. I don't care what physical marks you bear. <laughs> if that's in your heart, that's what I've always been looking for. That's what, that's what this whole thing points to. And that's what Jesus fulfilled in the flesh. That is why it depends on faith. Uh, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And Gentiles, that's Gentiles. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Now this is the faith we're talking about. Abraham is not just some random example. Abraham is the pattern. This is the faith I'm talking about. This is the faith that Jesus has in his relationship with the father. And hope, he believed to get hope, against hope that he should become the father of many nations. You're going to kill me? God can raise the dead. Barren womb? God can call into existence things that don't exist. How do I know that? Because he's the creator, and that's how he created, right? All these things work together. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith, and what did that produce? Glory for God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul's explaining. What is faith, guys? It's not something that sets you off from those filthy sinners. Oh, we are people of faith. What does that mean? It means that your whole existence is, is a response to the promise of God and the commission of God. And you are living into that promise. You're saying, I don't care what my life looks like. I know what God wants to do, and I know that he's able to bring that to pass. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Listen, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. The reason although there was going to be as many as the stars is because God was saying, I like that. I want to do it a billion times. I like what you have, Abraham. And I'm going to do that in, in a lot more people. And so that same experience of being before God and getting a vision of 
how he wants you to bring his glory into the earth. Your response to that, that is, that is the status of, of your faith before God. Okay? It's not whether, how, how hard you believe that he can save you, that he, he really has forgiven you. All of that is important, but it's all part of this grand package. You were created to bear the image of God, and, and so to glorify God. And if you will walk with Him in faith, He can do that, just like He did to Abraham. Just like He did and does with Jesus. Because Abraham was just a type of Christ. And it, it really was through Abraham's offspring. Right? Because Jesus was descended from Abraham. So it really did end up. And so now it's the same. It's one big, one big uh, lineage. Uh, and we are all Abraham's children. Um, I want to close by just reading another covenantal section of Scripture in Exodus 34. It's right after Israel has broken covenant with the golden calf. Right, right as Moses is up on the mountain getting the law, and they're down breaking all the rules that he's being told by God, and he comes down. And the covenant gets renewed, and in verse 10 of, of Exodus 34, or no, God, God, Moses says, show me who you are. And the Lord reveals him himself, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Can you see how significant? Here's a moment in which the covenant is being renewed. Verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among, uh, all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Listen. So this was for them, but this is, this is a foretelling of what's going to happen with Jesus. I, who am I? I am faithful. Guess what? I promised something, and I am faithful to the thousandth generation. And I'm going to do it. Listen, I'm renewing my covenant. I'm not going anywhere. And this was way back in Exodus. I'm not going anywhere. And you're going to, you watch and see. All the people around you, when I finish my work... They're going to look at you and marvel. And Paul's saying, listen, if you come in with Jesus, instead of the name of God being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, all the people around you are going to look at you and marvel. This is what he was always wanting to do, to show his holy arm. He himself coming down. God's righteousness is Jesus in the flesh. Um, all right, so again, my goal is, is to, to and my prayer is that, is that by the Holy Spirit we would be captured with that, that 
that plan, that purpose of God, that the weight of that on our life, and that we would respond in faith. Um, so um, I don't know how to <laughs> I don't know how to make that happen other than to say this. You know, as we're going through this, spend some time and allow God, give God time to speak to you and to to pull back the curtain and and to show you. you you were created to bear my image, to reflect my glory. And guess what? I can cause you to do that if you walk with me in faith. Um, so I'll, let's pray. And then um, if anyone has anything that you want to share, you can share that. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a moment of, all right, let's have the revelation now. Boom. I just want to say, seek it. Uh, seek a, a broader vision, a longer view. And uh, allow God to come and, and, and speak his purpose to you, his, his purpose from the foundation of the, the, the world. Uh, and I think by the Holy Spirit, he's going to capture a few hearts in that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you are faithful. Uh, that you have uh, remained faithful ever since you first promised um, Abraham that you would bless the world through him. Jesus, thank you that in your whole time on earth that you walked in complete obedience to the Father and you showed us what uh, pleases the Father. You showed us how to walk with you uh, in the same way that Abraham walked with you in believing God, uh, that he could uh, cause his glory to come forth from our lives. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would place that heart in us, that you would give us the, the vision of your purposes Uh, that we need in order to be the people that you called us to be. I pray that our eyes would be turned away from anything of this world that would capture us and distract us and sever our our, uh, abandonment to you, Lord. Lord, give us a a vision in the the night watches of uh, just the, the overwhelming... Uh, glory of your purposes for us. And Lord, give us the hope and the trust and the faith to throw ourselves into that, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but that we would just throw everything we have into believing you, trusting you, and obeying you to see the purposes of God come to pass in our life. And Lord, we trust you in these days to, to make this practical where it needs to be practical. And we, Lord, we trust you to make it big picture where it needs to be big picture. And so, Lord, for those of us who, who tend to get bogged down in details, I pray that you would help us to zoom out and see your hand in history. And Lord, for those of us who um, find it hard to do this in the day-to-day grind, I pray that you would bring a sense of your glory uh, a sense of, uh, of your purposes to, to the very mundane um, issues of our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord. We want to be your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.